ready to go to Sunday school, I will meet you out in the foyer. Today's scripture comes from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that this wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. Then the king said, uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> but the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had the wisdom from God to administer justice. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Hey, and thank you, Grace, for uh, reading it for us today. Uh, hello, everybody, and uh, I want to welcome all of you in person and online. Uh, it is a beautiful morning, and there is no place that I would rather be today than right here with you. I love you, I love this church, and I believe that God has great plans for us in 2022. And I want to share with you just a few of the things that are, have been happening lately. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, 22 people at our FaithLink lunch for newcomers. It may be the most we've ever had at one of these. Our Helping Hands Fund has already made a huge difference to uh, several individuals and families in our church who are going through some really challenging times. And I want to thank you for that. Uh, our search team has interviewed two more candidates for the Director of Student Discipleship, so I'm, I'm pleased to, see, to know, have that. And then, what an encouraging uh, report uh, we received uh, for the year end uh, of last year, which means that we are starting 2022 in solid fashion. And I just, I look out at you and I know it's because you love your church. Thank you. Let's pray. Holy God, you are all-knowing and wise. Teach us your ways. We seek your wisdom and insight. Give us knowledge and understanding 
Pour out your wisdom upon us so we can walk in the path you lay before us, knowing right from wrong, guarding ourselves against temptation and deceit. Fill us with your word, O Lord, so we may walk on the straight and narrow path, faithfully following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is our second Sunday in the series, Walk in God's Wisdom. And if, by the way, if you missed uh, last Sunday, you can always watch it uh, later um, from our w website or our Facebook page or on YouTube. Uh, but really, the handiest way to get that might be from your Faith Westwood app. Did you know we are an appy church? Yeah. And, uh, and you can just, just, on your search, type in Faith Westwood, all one word, and we're the only ones out there. Uh, today's message is called Judge Wisely. And yesterday, I started to wonder if there, if there might be somewhere a judge whose last name is Wisely. You know, all rise, the honorable Judge Wisely presiding. I looked, but I couldn't find one. Anyway, based on personal experience, I can tell you uh, that's a lot easier to be foolish than wise. You know, a lot of times when Leah was giving us these multiple choice, I wanted to put up one and a half, you know? <laughs> Didn't quite work. But anyway, uh, it reminds me of the quote of Albert Einstein. He said, two things are infinite. The universe and human stupidity, and I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> but I also believe in wisdom. And I appreciate wise sayings from wherever they come, even if they're uh, from non-Christian sources. Uh, for example, we have a printed canvas in our kitchen with a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. I know you've heard it. Be the change you wish to see in the world. I love that. Be the change you wish to see in the world. I also like the, the wise quote from Confucius. He said, if you are the smartest person in the room, then you are in the wrong room. And from the Christian faith, I'm fond of uh, the legacy of wisdom from Mother Teresa. She said, peace begins with a smile. You know, I found that's true. If you need to make peace someone, maybe the best place to begin is with a smile. Now, throughout this series, we are looking at uh, the life of a wise guy in the Bible named King Solomon. So let's open our Bibles. We'll grab one of the Pew Bible if you didn't bring one, and, and uh, we'll go to 1 Kings 3.16. One of the 3.16s. In the Pew Bible on page 333. Now, Solomon lived in the 10th century B.C., so about 3,000 years ago. Last Sunday, we saw where the young king asked God for wisdom. Today, we're looking at an example of his wise judgment from the passage that Grace just read for us. Now, it, is, it was common in ancient times for people to tell stories regaling the wisdom of their rulers. It reminds me of this story, which I learned later was fictitious, but when I was a kid, maybe a lot of us learned it, how George Washington confessed that he had chopped down the cherry tree, right? And what did he say? I cannot tell a lie. 
I believe this story about Solomon has historical basis, even though it is told in dramatic fashion. Now, the king is kind of like all three branches of government wrapped up into one, and, and so he serves as the supreme judge of the land, and a civil case comes to him involving these two women. Verse 16 says they are prostitutes and housemates, uh, but to Solomon's credit, he, he deals with them as mothers and not as criminals. In verses 17 through 21, one woman accuses the other of swapping their newborn babies because the other mother's son died in the night, and then she allegedly switched them. And then the two women get in a shouting match. I mean, this looks like courtroom TV, right? (laughs) And verse 22, so follow with me there. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. Like any good judge, Solomon restores order in the court and summarizes the case before him. Verse 23, the king said, This one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. And everybody there in the king's court just scratching their heads wondering, how's the king going to figure this one out? You know, when I was a kid, went to Sunday school, and we received this Sunday school take-home paper. Every week, uh, it had Bible Bible story comics in it. And the paper was called the Sunday Picks, P-I-X. It also had games and jokes and word puzzles that kind of went along with the story. Uh, Now, I usually read my Sunday Picks while my parents were listening to the sermon. At least it kept me quiet. Anyway, I remember this Bible story from the comics in the Sunday Picks. And it almost traumatized me. I mean, it scared me. Uh, And I think the reason it scared me is because of what we find in verses 24 and 25. The king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two. Give half to one, half to the other. And I'm going, no, Solomon, don't do it. Don't kill the baby. I didn't know that Solomon was bluffing. He had no intention of killing the child. He was just trying to draw out the truth. And the women didn't know he was bluffing either. And that's what made his ruse work. Immediately, the first woman reveals herself to be the true mother. She said, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. While the other woman's content with what you might call shared custody. Now, for the life of me, I don't understand why the second woman doesn't say, great, I'll take the baby, goodbye. Does she not know that the first woman has just offered to give up her child? I don't know. Maybe she figures that, you know, if Solomon has the child killed, at least she'll have the satisfaction of knowing that the other woman will be just as miserable as she is. Neither you nor I shall have him him into. Now you can see why I did not forget this story all those years. So the truth comes out. 
The real mother is revealed by her sacrificial love for her child. Now, I've got to confess, I'm not a big fan of Solomon's method here. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's playing bad cop in a police interrogation. And I, and I wonder, what would have happened if Solomon, you know, if his maneuver had failed? It could have. Anyway, it does work. And everyone applauds Solomon for his wisdom. It's all good. What does it mean? Is, is the lesson that we should try to return mothers to, babies to their mothers and not kill them? Duh, yeah. But I think there's more. Many of you have heard me say before that we need to read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. Okay? We need to ask, how does this Old Testament story point to Jesus? In the New Testament, uh, Timothy is reminded how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, one of the purposes of the Old Testament is to make us wise by pointing us to Jesus so we can receive salvation through faith in Him. Solomon's wisdom points us to the greater wisdom of Jesus who can make anybody wise that's the heart of today's message um, and I hope that you, it's be the, the thing that you can kind of remember when you go home you can talk about it with your family let's say it together shall we Solomon's wisdom points us to the greater wisdom of Jesus who can make anybody wise and here's one way that I think this story uh, about Solomon points us to Jesus. The true mother's love is revealed by her willingness to give up her child in order to save him, right? Similarly, God was willing to give up his son, and Jesus willingly laid down his life to save us. By this sacrificial act, God's love is revealed. Solomon's wisdom points to the greater wisdom of Jesus, and he can make anybody wise. Matter of fact, uh, one of the things that I've, I've learned in my studies is that much of the Gospels are portraying Jesus as wi the wisdom of God in person. And it took me a long time to really grasp that. But he's portrayed as the wisdom of God in person. And, and I don't think he's being arrogant in Matthew 14 or 12, 42, when he says, something greater than Solomon is here. An example of Jesus' wisdom, uh, one that I like, is found in Matthew chapter 22, where he's tested by the Pharisees. And that day they are accompanied by people who are normally their adversaries, the Herodians. The Pharisees, now, they view collaborating with Rome, I mean, that is a terrible sin. While the Herodians, the Herod and his family and, and people that, that are around him, they rose to power by collaborating with Rome. Well, this time, they come together asking Jesus a question that they believe will get him into trouble no matter how he answers it. Don't you hate questions like that? 
after, uh, you know, a few lines of insincere flattery upon Jesus, they ask, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? I can imagine it getting quiet. If he says it's right to pay tax to Caesar, then the Pharisees can turn, that, turn the public against him because everybody hates paying the imperial tax to, to Caesar. If he says it's wrong to pay the tax to Caesar, then the Herodians can report this to the Roman authorities and Jesus will be targeted as a troublemaker. I mean, it's a no-win situation. But then, Jesus surprises everybody. He says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Genius! I mean, if this, if this coin has Caesar's name and Im image on it, it must be his. If he wants it, give it back. You know, based on this, early Christians were taught to pay their taxes even to a government that was unfair and sometimes cruel to them. And yet their highest loyalty remains to God. Now, one other thing. To me, Right here in that story, Jesus is, I, I think I see the support to the separation of church and state, okay? Religion and government both have important roles in God's world, but we must not merge the two together as one. We have a limited obligation to government and a supreme obligation to God. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament that religion and nation are nearly always intertwined, right? But in the New Testament, religion and nation are nearly always separate. How else does uh, Solomon's wisdom point to Jesus? The book of Proverbs uh, attributed to Solomon says this, Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, this must be a very important proverb in the Bible because it's the last one in the book right before the epilogue about a wife of noble character. And Jesus not only reaffirms that wisdom, he models it. He speaks up for the poor. He stands up for those in need. He defends those with limited resources. Uh, and his people, Jesus' followers, learn to do the same. In the last year, uh, I had the privilege of getting acquainted with one of Douglas County's assistant public defenders. Did you know that there are 50 of them? 50 of them who work in the county and district public defenders. I mean, it blew me away. Anyway, I got to know this one because he uh, was representing a friend of mine. Uh, and so really just a few weeks ago, I got to talk with this public defender in his dingy little 8 by 10 office with no windows. Not nearly as glamorous as on TV. <laughs> and I asked him, 
How long have you been doing this? He said, 20 years. I said, what has kept you doing this? I mean, I'm sure you could make more money elsewhere. And he told me, well, he, he finds the work interesting, but he also believes in what he's doing. It's important. Defending people who cannot afford an attorney. Is our judicial system flawed? <laughs> yeah. Uh, are, are the people who run it flawed? Absolutely. And there may be a day in these courts when you might find yourself charged, sued, because you're a follower of Jesus and you're just trying to be faithful to him. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. You may lose your job because there's a compromise you will not make because you're trying to stay true to the Lord. You may be ridiculed in school or in your uh, sports league because you're basing your life on Christ. And here's what Jesus says. I will give you the word. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Do you hear that promise? Jesus is saying, I will give you words and wisdom. He does not promise that you're going to be treated fairly. Matter of fact, he predicts that you won't be many times. But when it's our turn to speak, he promises that words and wisdom uh, will be beyond our own will come to us and he will give us calmness and clarity he will give us peace and purpose Solomon was wise wise for his day but Solomon's wisdom points us to the greater wisdom of Jesus who can make anybody wise there are a lot of us foolish people that Jesus has given wisdom to thank the Lord we need it every day. Our goal as, as deep, daring, daily disciples is to, just to think like Jesus, to learn his wisdom. The Apostle Paul called it having the mind of Christ. And that's what we want. That's what we seek. And, of course, it's a lifelong pursuit. We never arrive. But it also comes with a promise that he will give us his wisdom. Friday in my, in my faith group, um, we tossed out the question, where do I need more wisdom in my life? And I was amazed that each one of us had something very personal and important to share about that. So it turned out to be a great question. Where do I need more wisdom in my life? Uh, maybe it has to do with your family. Uh, or uh, some issue that you're having at work that's troublesome. Or, you know, this week I, I had the opportunity to pray uh, with someone who's seeking wisdom about their finances. Uh, maybe there's a conflict, personal conflict that you're going through with somebody and you need wisdom. So ask yourself, where do I need more wisdom right now? And I, I would just say, have you asked for it? Are you just trying to 
bring, you know, just what you could, your own brain and your wisdom together to come up with it on your own? Are you asking for God's wisdom? For Jesus to give you the wisdom and words you need? Today, uh, we're going to do something a little different to end the message. I, instead of me just leading in a prayer, I've got a prayer that will appear on the screen. And um, I would invite you to say it with me. Shall we join together? Let's pray. Holy God, you are all-knowing and wise. Teach us your ways. We seek your wisdom and insight. Give us knowledge and understanding. Pour out your wisdom upon us so we can walk in the path you lay before us, knowing right from wrong, guarding ourselves against temptation and deceit. Fill us with your word, O Lord, so we may walk on the straight and narrow path, faithfully following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.